Coachella, my question for you today is in your, it's summer for us right now. We're, we're enjoying our summertime. For us, that practically means just prepping for other things because this is what we do. But my question to you today is what's, how do you process while you're writing? Because right now we're writing craft and draft together. We're jumping into it. I want to hear, you don't need to tell us about what you've been writing or anything like that, but I want to hear what, what, how could you explain your process when you sit down to write, when you're looking at that page, what is it that's going through your mind as you're writing? Do you find it hard to start? Do you find it hard to keep going? Do you, what's your process like? I want to get into the mind of my co-podcast host, co-creator, and co-writer. Oh my goodness. What is my process? Well, first of all, I have a hard time. My mind is going on 20,000 things all the time. So for me to just stop and focus at home or anywhere for a while is kind of hard sometimes because I keep thinking about, oh, I got to go do this. Oh, I got to make sure I do that. Oh, you know. So what I do, though, when I start to I sit down to write, I, I read over what it is I've already written. Uh, if I'm having to start the page and it's a blank page, then I I just start writing whatever comes to my mind. And then I get rid of everything that didn't really fit where I wanted to go. And then I start over. But what I actually do once we get started is I, re, I, I reread and I reread the stuff I've already written. I go back in and change it sometimes if I don't like it or I rearrange the chapter, not the chapters, but the paragraphs or the sentences. And then doing that kind of prompts my brain, kind of gets me back in. And then I'll write what for a little bit and then I'll start reading. So I always go to the reading. So speaking of that, guess what I have up? <laughs> and I just Wonderful. quoted him in, in some of our writing. So I've got Donald Graves. So there's something that I wanted. So then what happens to me though, what slows me down is I'll start reading. And I'm like, Oh, I forgot about that. Oh, I forgot about that. So as you can see, and I know you're looking at me and the audience cannot, but you can see I've already started posting, noting things that were brand new, even though I've already read the book. But anyways, Donald Graves, a fresh look at writing. And he talks about writing being a social act. And uh, I thought, you know, I've heard that said over and over. And all of a sudden I realized, oh, my gosh, that was in this book. So I had to write about that. But so then I'll write about that. And then somebody will call me and then I'll get distracted. And then then I have to come back and do it again. I also put on some music, a little soft music, something that doesn't have lyrics or doesn't. And so I'll play. I usually do really well if I've got the music going and. But then sometimes the cat will come over and just plop on my thing. So then I had to move my, I mean, no telling what the cat wrote the other day. And I had to go back and erase all of it. And then he got rid of some of my words. And I'm like, oh, my gosh. I had to go back and do. So I don't have a very good process. Do you you find it, like, so when you're writing, do you find that you can only write well during a certain part of the day? Like, are you a morning writer, evening writer, or does it not really matter? I think it doesn't matter. I think it's a lot of times what I'll do is I think, I think partial, I do a lot of thinking. So what I'll do is I'll be thinking about it, thinking about it, thinking about it. And while I'm thinking about it, I'm going through papers, I'm reboxing or reorganizing, or I'm doing something like that. But the whole time I'm acting up doing the dishes, but I'm actually thinking about what I want to write. And then all of a sudden it's like, all right, you got it. And I have to go sit down and I'll write on it. I tried to do the scheduled time. I'm not very good at that because I end up stalling. I'm worse than the kids. I'm the one that says, hey, can I go to the restroom right now? <laughs> so another another tally on your side about who's worse with time management. That one, you get that tally on that I get one. that tally. Yeah, you, you probably do really well on the other. But no, but I do a lot of thinking. That's what I realized that I'm doing is I'm thinking about it like, you know, I read a little more on Donald Graves and I'm digesting what he's saying. And then I'll go in and, and it might sponsor another 
piece to write about. Sometimes I can write for hours and sometimes it, I only have like a few minutes. I not want to say a few minutes. I'm talking about like 30 minutes, but Mm -hmm. when I get in the groove, I can go for a long time. I, I don't know. I try to write at different times of the day and I can, but my best writing comes right as I kind of get up and I open the dock and I have my caffeine coming into my body in whatever form that is, whether it's a five hour or a coffee. I usually make coffee, but sometimes, sometimes I like to spice up my caffeine intake of where I get it from. But it, it's that train. I'm riding the train up while I'm riding. Right. I start off slow. Then before I know it, I hit that thousand word mark. And then the next thousand words comes the easiest because I'm in the zone and I'm rolling. I usually have music and my headphones on and I'm just gone. And I basically write until I can't anymore. And that's usually, I don't know, Bad days are between 500 and 1,000 words. After that, if I do 1,000, I feel good. If I do 2,000, I feel accomplished. So that's, that, that's kind of how I've ingrained myself during my writing time. Now, I don't hit 2,000 a lot, but I don't know. I, morning is like, well, I'm not even a morning person. And, but mornings are what help me the best, which is strange. Well, I've tried that, but then I'll end up falling asleep. So I have to get up and move, I've determined. And then so like I'll go and walk and I'll do some stuff. So I, I do a lot of thinking and then I have to sit down and write. But no, I got a lot of writing. I got to do this next week. So I got to be really determined to do it. But I, I think my problem is, is, is um, I've just got too much. I got too much other stuff going on sometimes. So I have to, I have to stop and take care of some things. But I've got quite a bit taken care of. So I think, um, yeah. But no, when I start writing and when it starts flowing, I know what you're talking about. Because once you hit that flow or sometimes it just keeps working and, I mean, just start. You're in a zone. And I like it in the classroom when the kids hit that zone. And it's neat when it happens. And uh, so anyway, yeah. But I got to throw down some words this next week. I got to throw down a lot of words. I got to hit more than 2,000 on more than a day. (laughs) That's all I'm telling you right now. I know what I have to do. The pressure's on. I'm trying. Hopefully, hopefully I've got all my dishes washed. I'm trying to get my clothes finished. (laughs) Oh, man, I know it. And it's those things that creep in. It's like all of a sudden, it's like, oh, you know, I really have to do laundry right now. And then writing doesn't happen. But we're going to talk more about that in just a minute, ladies and gentlemen. This is the Craft the Draft podcast. Apologies for my echoey voice into this microphone. I am rearranging my office. I tried to put some stuff in here to make it not so echoey, but it is not happening right now. We're trying to get lives going for some stuff that I want to do just on social media. So I'm in an echoey room. Hopefully Miss Ochoa has far more to say tonight than I do. And that way we just don't have to hear my side very much, but thank you for being here. Anyway, guys, we're, this is kind of a continuation of yesterday's last week's episode where we talked about how we're going to start the year. That conversation wandered all over the place, which was wonderful. We hit on quite a bit, but this one is going to be centered on finding culturally relevant texts, why you should even be thinking about culturally relevant texts, why you should be questioning what you're putting in the classroom, et cetera, et cetera. It's going to be a great conversation. Stick around, ladies and gentlemen. All righty, Miss Ochoa. I hate this echoey room. I really do. I I should have... (laughs) Honestly, I didn't notice it until you brought it up. I noticed. You know, it's probably not even noticeable until you say something. But if if you're listening to something back to back, and we know that's what people Mm -hmm. do. They find Craft and Drafts, and they just go through every episode in one day. Just think about it. That's like over... That's easily over 40 hours of content just with our voices. I mean, I'm just kidding. People probably don't do that. But, you know, on the off chance, we actually have really good... Our, the way our data runs out for the podcast is it shows that people basically when they find us is they do go back to episode one and kind of start yes. through that, which is interesting. Um, Teach Me Teacher does not have that. Teach Me Teacher has episodes that do well. I think it's because it's so guest oriented. So it's kind of nice that people go back and they follow this journey of us podcasting together and putting our thinking out there for everyone to hear and judge. Well, and I think too, the way it's, we really did just kind of do it. 
an audio log, if you will, of our of the year of COVID. So I think it does kind of run like a story would. So I could see where people would yeah. would want to do that. Mm-hmm. Well, and uh, what's funny is my favorite part about this podcast is what we're doing right now, right? We're just talking about just life and the podcast, and it's so it's so much different. Like these are the types of podcasts that I listen to, which are just you listen to people, you know, they they talk about topical things and they get to the point, but they also meander and have fun, mm-hmm. and you you get to you know you develop a relationship with them kind of as you're listening. So hopefully. You know, I, I don't know if we have a lot of people like that listening to the show, but it's it's a fun uh, experience. So we try to live up to that and just have um, a lot of fun on the podcast. But regardless, culturally relevant text, I feel like th- this is such a good topic because mm-hmm. it's something that I don't know. Can I tell a story that sets this up? I have a story. I think so. And I didn't remember the story until just now. I've probably said this story before in some form. But when I, so I taught social studies my first year. When I became an English teacher, I remember going to my department chair and I remember looking at the curriculum and, you know, she brought me in cause I was, I was only a second year teacher and she was like, Oh, let's plan together and all this stuff. I was looking through the curriculum and I go, so what stories do I teach? And she shrugged and was like, you find them. And I was like, wait, there's not like curriculum. There's like, there's curriculum, you know, there's scope and sequence and there's some documents in there. But she was like, there's, there's really no stories like you you find that and as a new english teacher that like boggled my mind right i was like what on earth now right. i i like that freedom of course now our curriculum documents are far better because we've remade them in the district um so there are more resources for newer teachers where we're at but the case stands is that we don't have pre-written curriculum which means you cannot just use the stories in our curriculum documents because though there's not enough. There's not enough documents in the curriculum documents to have for as many lessons as you have. So for me as a newer teacher, what did I go to, right? I started picking stories that I found in the textbook. I found stories that I just Googled, and then I picked things from my memory. But on the things that we need for our classrooms isn't always the stuff that uh, that we can just readily call forth, right? You kind of, like the, what you were taught isn't necessarily what the kids in front of you today need to be taught. doesn't mean it can't be, but it means that there's, it's, it's not an equal to equal thing. So when you think about finding your text that you're working on or thinking about what text to use. Do you, cause you've been, you've been teaching for quite a while, Miss Ochoa. So you have, you have quite the, the breadth of knowledge of different kinds of text. So when, how often do you bring in something that you've done before and how often do you weigh or basically, how do you weigh that option? How do you go, oh, I've done this before, let's use this, or let's find something new? What's that thought process for you? Well, I mean, when we first started, we really were tied to the textbook a lot more. But I also was in um, in, a, in a school that was not really that multicultural, so it didn't really, the demographic didn't require that I search too difficultly. I mean, too hard or whatever you want to call it. But um but I will tell you that as our demographics have changed and I have been able to hear many authors and their stories over the years by going to conferences and things like that, one that comes to my mind is Sandra Cisneros. I got to listen to her and, you know, and she talked about the desert, if you will, of only having to be able to read only what dead white guys, so to speak, you know, and um, and so there was nothing that they could latch onto, and it she has really probably led a pretty good movement of putting, you know, Gary Soto. I've never gotten to listen to him, but these are people who have um, uh, Jacqueline Woodson. You know, they have made a point to put more multicultural type text in front of our kids. And if we, honestly, if we're going to, if we're going to believe in choice, if we're going to believe in workshop, if we're going to believe in 
self-selected text, then it's very important that we put text in there that the students can identify with. Because if they can't identify, they're not going to be interested. And if we're basing what we do on a high interest, then we need to get multicultural text, multi-diverse text in the uh, in our classrooms. Yeah, and I, you know, I think the it speaks for itself. I mean, it makes sense, and it, it's. I think it's for people that might have never even thought about this. It's an interesting kind of wake up call, which is, you know, as a white man myself, you know, when I get presented with text like that, you know, it really never, I didn't call into question how mm-hmm. much of the canon is, you know, written by white people and written at times when black and white people were separated in our society, right? Like the schools were still segregated not that long ago. So the the practices and the texts that have been pushed out through, while many of them are great, were only kind of a snapshot of the experiences of just people, right? So when we open this up though, you look at why you know, why, why do kids hate reading? Why do they do this? Because they don't see themselves in any of these texts. They don't, their lived experience is not the same. You know, our predominantly Hispanic culture on our campus is not going to relate to everything written by a white person that had white experiences. And uh, this is, I feel like this is such a, it's, I feel like this is a relatively modern shift that, it what it does though is it starts honestly like when i started realizing like just as an adult i was like you know what i need to be reading more authors of color and things like that i started finding amazing texts that were that were just blowing me away and they were it was offering different experiences and I felt like I was just growing as a person. So bringing in these texts, they're, they're powerful for a multitude of reasons. But like you said, if we're, if our goal is independence, if our goal is to get kids so engaged in reading that they do it without us telling them to, we have to give them texts that they can connect to. And I think there are so many authors doing great work. Like you mentioned, like Jacqueline uh, Woodson and uh, Brown Girl Dreaming and Locomotion. Mm -hmm. I mean, she has so many amazing texts, but I don't know. Like, so when I I found that once I started bringing in more of these books written by authors that look like my students and had similar experiences, the kids naturally connected more to the books. They kids that came in hating reading, it was like they were like, oh, there's books written about similar life experiences that I had. It was like a revelation to them. And as reading teachers, or literacy teachers rather, I feel like this is so important because if we're, you know, I think it's good to give kids different perspectives and to, you know, don't don't throw the baby out with the bathwater, right? There, right. There's, there's a. It's not about silencing any side. It's about bringing in more and creating a more uh, equitable reading life for everyone. And I don't know I, your thought process. You said it was at a time. You know, there was in more in the curriculum that you kind of worked with in the beginning. It was very. You know, it was more controlled. You had to use more of the text. Now that things are more open, do you find that you're able to capture non-readers better this way? Or is there, do you see a difference with the change? Well, I think, I think um, as uh, Donna Miller talks about having that book access, no matter what the type of author there is, is always helpful. Uh, I think that's when I started seeing better, you know, more reading. Just, just having reading. more options, right? Uh-huh. But then as I started listening to these speakers I was telling you about um, and others, uh, you know, it was kind of like what you just said, a wake-up call that said, oh, my goodness, I need to be considering more people in my room they like. And so uh, being a little more current, I think you're better than this at at this than I am at this point. I went through my original library, oh, I guess, you know, because I was out for seven years. So all my stuff was, uh, you know, dangerous, you know, whatever the uh, Al Capone shirt. I mean, it was all like 
older material that I had. So um, anyway, but here I've updated my library because I have a friend that helped me update it. So, <laughs> uh, but anyway, uh, Jason Reynolds is somebody that you definitely need to have on your on your shelf. Uh, kids migrate to his work and uh and no matter you know and and I will say that no matter what a good story is a good story so that I think that's what's important not to throw away what has already been written I you know me I love the I love the classics the kids like the classics um they don't know the classics but if they understand what a good story is then you can even use those. But I agree with you. I think you have to have more. So I think getting with your librarian, because they have to study these books, you know, if you have a good librarian, they're going to be right in the know of all what's current and things like that. And I think it's very important that you bring those in. I I bring a lot of stuff in with, uh, you know me, I like my picture books, my trade books. And uh, I bring a lot of big ideas about diversity. With well, there's, there's so much diversity in picture books nowadays. Like picture mm-hmm. books are like the go-to if you want diverse text in all honesty. Yeah, you can get there a lot faster. You can get to the, the heavy thoughts. It's great for like a, a mini lesson. Usually lasts a little longer than your 10 or 15 minutes. 20 minutes is usually when a, a true book is read. Um, but in that 20 minutes, you can do so much and then you send them out, and then you say, okay, in your book that you're reading, do you see a similar theme? Do you see, you know, what are some echoes in your reading that you had in this book? What are some things you're finding that are similar? What's different? And uh, I think uh, when you get the kids to think about all of those, uh, then I think it's helpful. And maybe even putting like books together with kids in literature circles, or maybe unlike books together and have them talk about the differences. I think you can just be kind of a man, uh, creative uh, in the way you approach even how you group your kids and what they're reading. But I, th- I do think you need to be alert as to and be uh, intentional uh, as far as like helping the students, uh, especially if you have a non-reader, if you can start them out with something that they're going to see themselves in, something that's similar, uh, then I think that's very helpful. And I think it's good if you already have that in your classroom library. Uh, they typically will read off of that a lot faster than they will out of a library, unless you purposefully go to libraries, you know, and have that scheduled, which I do, by the way. I like to do that. Yeah, library visits are great. You know, I uh I I've had really good success with that classroom library and kind of knowing how and when to offer books. You know, there's a great book that's a, it's a PD book. I think it's called Literary Ladders, Literacy Ladders, Book Ladders, something mm-hmm. like that. It is it's going to bother me. So I'm going to click this button and let's see. Nope, that's an actual ladder. Reading ladders. Okay. Terry Lissane, that's why I knew it. Okay. So reading ladders, it's a fantastic book, but it's kind of it's this idea that you basically guide kids into more complexity from one book to the next to, to the next to the next. Wow. So looking so looking at your library, you know, it's a fun intellectual activity just for you as the teacher. Like, okay, so if you hand a kid this book, what would be the next one that would be similar in style, similar in function, but maybe a little bit more complex? And how far can you walk that up? Because we get, and this is so much more intricate than like a Lexile number and just like bumping up the Lexile number a little bit. This is intricately knowing what's in a book, what's talked about, what is the language in it? Because a book can be complex for various different reasons. You know, I've, I've used this example before that the reason Lexile is a horrible thing to go on is because uh, outsiders and the giver are the same Lexile number, but one is infinitely more complex than the other, and that's the giver. The outsiders could be explained, read to, understood by pretty much any reader ever, which is why it's super right. popular. Not against the outsiders. It's a great story. But the giver has so many nuances to it. There's so much depth. There is thematic stuff in there. It's all kinds of stuff. Government. Uh, so that, that's why that is not always a good thing. But just playing with this idea of... 
you know, when you're choosing model text for your mini lessons, for instance, could you do a reading ladder uh, for a week? Monday show one thing and then add complexity as you go, or may- maybe a week's too short of a time frame for a unit. Here's where we start in a, a poetry unit. By the end, what level of poetry am I hoping that we can understand and grasp? Um, I think that's a really cool idea, but you can do that with, while you're doing that, be looking at culturally relevant text and your students and be like, okay, so what's something that might connect to them? So I had a poem that I showed this year. I love showing slam poetry. It's one of my favorites. It also shows them authors that look like them, right? Right. Um, but one of my favorite authors, she wrote The Poet X. Um, I am hoping to have her on Teach Me Teacher at some point, but her name is Elizabeth Acevedo. Uh, she's a slam poet, but her, there's like something on me. That was weird. <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, Elizabeth, Elizabeth Acevedo, um, she is a slam poet and she did this. Some slam poetry is done with like multiple people. So there'll be like three people on stage and they have like different verses that they'll say and they'll cut each other off. And it's really interesting and really engaging. Um, but this whole, I, this one poem that I showed was entirely about how the, the, their names were chosen um, to basically assimilate them into white culture, right? And how like their their home names are different than the names that they use here. And I was like, oh, that's really interesting. And I just I wanted to use that because I've heard my students talk about that. They'll be like, well, this is how you say it in English, but it's pronounced this way. You know, they they the kids switch depending on who they're talking to. And and I was like, wow, names are so interesting and and integral to identity. And I was like, let's do this. Let's do this uh, poem. And my assistant principal came in and I was like, oh, do you, he came looking for a student who wasn't there. And I said, hey, why don't you sit down and watch? I'd be curious to see what you thought. So he sat down and watched through the slam poem and he is Hispanic. And so he got up after it. I had them write, you know, we did a reflection, a quick write basically on it. And then he got up and told this whole story about his last name and how it's not the maiden name and how his parents changed it because of, you know, similar reasons that are mentioned in the poem. And then the kids started asking him questions and it was, it was just this really, awesome, couldn't have planned it moment that, but because I intentionally chose something based on conferring and just listening to my students, I found something that was relevant. I found it was written by authors that look like them and deal with similar situations. Now think about all of the, the walls I just took down. Now, they're not resistant to certain ways. It's their experience. You know, if it's not their experience, it might be their family's experience, so they know about it. But you, the more walls you can get down for kids to learn, then now we're talking, we're going deep onto this poem. The principal's there. We're having these great conversations. We're, we're talking about the language and how they articulated their language in a way to get their meaning across. Now we're, we're fired up and kids are like, Chastain, I need to go write right now. This gave me so many ideas. I want to go write. And that is the, that, that's the why and the how of culturally responsive text is look at your right. students figure out what you need and then go get it in whatever way that is. I don't know. I, I love, like I said, video is powerful. I think it's, it's really, um, I think it's, it's, it's a, I mean, it's visual form. Kids love video, but with that said, kids should be reading the text. I printed out that text. They should do that. I I don't rely too much on video. I think that's a, that's a big problem that we should probably talk about on the podcast at some point is people rely too much on video in reading class when kids should be reading. We've seen that several times. Right. Yes. Not to say that I have never done that, but I have. Of course. And I, I mean, we, I think we go through phases like, cause it's easy. It's a nice engagement tool, but you know, kids in reading class, they should be reading, writing class. They should be writing, you know, the video's good to latch onto. I usually do two passes when I do a video. We'll, I will read it once or I'll have the video up and I'll let them choose to watch it or read it first. And then I have them switch to see, especially if it's a slam poetry video, because the performance is a part of it. Um, sometimes we'll read it first and then watch it. Well, you know, I kind of spice it up to get that reading piece in, but 
I don't know, culturally relevant text. I feel like, do you have go-tos on the internet or something? Because going back to our question from Miss Leah is, you know, she says, you know, the Quick Write book is great. We've praised the Quick Write book a million times on this podcast. You know, there's only so many texts in there, and those might not be the texts that you need. So what happens when your go-to place runs out? Where do you go next? Well, <laughs> I'm like everybody else. I don't know. Uh, I think that's fair, right? We're, <laughs> we're just like everyone else. It's like, just ah. like everyone else. <laughs> well, I did find, again, a picture book with poems, and I think I shared it with you the other day. I can't really get, get to it, but it was um, 14 different. Uh, it was a book of poems, but it was about 14 different women who have diverse and um, what they stand for uh, culturally uh, and all of that. But it's people who have been leaders. So I, I found that on Amazon. So what I did is I, I typed in um, culturally diverse books, and that one popped up. But it was it's, it's 14 poems. So I have to hang on. Let me see if I can get it. It's right back over there. Hang on. I'm going to describe... While she's walking away, we're going to sit here. She's walking back. She's got a big bookshelf behind her. She has so many books. She's walking over there. She's got it. She located the book. By the way, her leather chair is very nice. She's got a very nice leather chair. It looks like it's very supportive. I don't have it as nice leather chair as she has, but I think maybe I can ask her the type of leather chair that she has. She can hear me now, so she knows that I'm talking about her. <laughs> You're talking about me getting up. But yeah, I was, uh, I was anyway, narrating your actions for the listeners so they knew. Thank yeah, you. go ahead, go yeah. ahead, go ahead. Uh, anyway, it's called uh, it's thir- uh, 14 Young Women Who Changed the World by Susan Hood, and it's shaking things up, and it's... Um, Anyway, and anyway, it's it's a poetry about all of these women who have made a difference in the world in which they grew, and it's it's from uh, could be anywhere from years ago to to present day. So one of them is Ruby Bridges, for example, civil rights. Um, Looking here, uh, Malala is in there. Um, so even present day. Uh, the first firefighter was actually an indentured servant in New York. Anyway, it's all poem about them, and I think it would be neat to share those, not all at one time with the students, but all I did was look up, you know, culturally diverse, and that was one that caught my attention. So uh, I think we're, I think because of the issues that we've had, or, like you said, that wake-up call, especially in the last few years, I think people are being more intentional to make sure that that these things are readily available. So I would definitely look up um, places like that, uh, Amazon, other places where you look for books. Well, and I, I love that you mentioned that, you know, there, there I think there's been several wake-up calls, at least here in America, where it's like, okay, we have to... We have to diversify the way we're teaching and learning and listening because the world is not okay. <laughs> you know, like <laughs> there's so many right. issues and a lot of it is stemmed from living in echo chambers and not listening to the plight of other people. And um, the, the English classroom is a great way and safe way, honestly, to read about others' lives, other people's experiences, to better operate in the world and to just make, I mean, to st- so this, the research shows that reading makes people more compassionate, more understanding. There's a reason for that. But in terms of going and finding stuff when you're stuck, specifically for diverse text, um, I'm actually going to recommend something that might not be as common because I feel like tons of teachers use social media to kind of deepen their stuff, but a lot of people don't. Like I almost primarily use social media these days to Mm -hmm. only use it for my teacher stuff. I hardly ever, like I don't have, I have a personal Facebook that I hardly ever use. I mostly use the Teach Me Teacher Facebook or my Teach Me Teacher uh, Twitter and Instagram. But what I'm using So that's why you missed my birthday. That is why (laughs) Call me out on the podcast. You know what? This is in the middle of the episode, so I'm going to forget to edit this part out. (laughs) 
Anyway, I'm go horrible, ahead. I'm a horrible partner. That's what that's what this boils down to. That's what the episode is no. going to be called. Horrible partner. Chastain right. is a horrible, horrible person. All right. Anyway, <laughs> you're talking about my chair. I can talk about the fact that you didn't get me one. I was complimenting your chair. It is a nice chair. It looks it looks more cozy than mine. I switched my chair out. This is totally off topic, but I sw- I switched this one out with uh, the. So this is the one that was at my campus that we had to get everything out of because they're exploding it soon because we're getting a new one. Uh, so this is that one, and I was like, I love this chair. It's bigger, so I wanted to bring it into the office. It squeaks more, and it's leather, so it gets hot. So I think I'm going to go – my other one's upstairs, so I think I'm going to go switch it out again. This is, like, good for my – because I don't. I think I thought this was better because I don't sit in this chair that often when I'm teaching because I'm usually on a stool rolling around the room or walking around or sitting with kids or whatever. So I never sit in this. So I had false beliefs about this chair because I was not around it enough. So – I don't know. Could be a lesson for somebody. But in any case, uh, places to go when you're looking for diverse text. There's a lot of hashtags out there. There's a lot of conversation. Um, There's tons of book talk people that share stuff. There's a guy named The Book Wrangler on Instagram who is amazing. He loves picture books. That's all he does is show infant, like all these diverse picture books. Uh, following people like Donalyn Miller and Colby Sharp. Colby Sharp on uh, uh, his YouTube channel. He has a Facebook too, but his YouTube channel, he does nothing but talk about books and uh, he, he's obsessed with them. Donalyn Miller does it very well. Uh, but then if you specifically want diverse text, there is an organization called Disrupt Text. And they are kind of an activist group, uh, but they're really great at finding and showing diverse authors in a variety of age groups. So I highly recommend people use them as a resource. Um, They are... Uh, slightly political. So if that's not your jam, you can ignore that piece and kind of go to the books. But, you know, I think they serve what they do well. I think they support teachers a lot. Um, And they support a lot of authors that otherwise wouldn't uh, be known. You know, it's, it's something that is interesting is, you know, the, the statistics of the, how many white authors are published versus other, uh, you know, black and brown people is, is still, astronomically lopsided, like to, to the point that it's, um, I don't have the statistics right in front of me, but the last time I saw it, it was like 90% of published authors are white. And so supporting authors of color and, and getting these books into schools and getting these stories into schools, like it helps in a variety of ways that aren't just, you know, getting kids connected to literature. So I think it's a good uh, I think it's a good way for teachers to just become involved in different ways in our society. So I don't know. This is, I love this topic. Well, I think, I think it's a needed topic. Well, while you were talking, I was thinking, you know, as teachers, one of the things we could do, I mean, if we want students to be authentically writing, I mean, if there's a hole, like if there's not enough Asian authors, if there's not enough Polynesian author, if there's not, and, and you have a student like that, then encourage them to write for, uh, write their story down and then maybe encourage them to even find a place and help them find a place to publish. And that might be also something. So you can look at it from that viewpoint too. If you're, if you can't actually find books for them, maybe you can say, okay, I see a need. Maybe you can feel that need. Yes. And I I wanted to cite myself. I love that idea. I'm going to add to that in just a second. I was wanted to cite my own source. So in 2019, they did a diversity study in publishing. 76% of the authors were white. So I had a little bit big, but so can you imagine? I mean, that is, uh, that's a huge gap. So that's something that mm-hmm. uh, I think people should just be paying attention to that. But in terms of that authentic writing that kids can do, I think that's really important too. And talk about, uh, even encourage your young writers in your classroom to, you know, if you're talking about, specific, I don't know, events or specific ideas, themes or whatever, and they don't connect to whatever theme you're using because of whatever lens you're reading it through. Letting kids be able to explore things with their voice, with their experience can one, empower them in their writing and get them writing on really deep levels that is authentic to them. But it can also be, you know, we're, what we're doing in class is getting kids comfortable with using their voice in a way that is 
not, you know, it, we want more advocates in the world and we want more civically inclined people in the world. And we want these kids not to just grow up and go out and get a job, but to be, you know, a part of the greater conversation. I think everyone would agree that if we had more adults that could have civil discussion about hard topics in the world, we would probably be better for it. And I think that's what we do on a much deeper level when we allow students, like you said, to take an idea write about it, fill in the gaps themselves to work to do that, fill in perspectives, and then even let kids discuss, right? This comes back to some of your strategies uh, from Abydos is having reading sessions and sharing sessions where kids can comfortably write about something that's near and dear to them, but someone next to them that they might spend the whole class with all year never hearing about their perspective on something, now you've created a system and a structure to allow them to experience that in a safe way that can impact them for the rest of their lives. And I think that is, at its core, when you're talking about great pedagogy, culturally responsive pedagogy, this Uh is where it's at. Creating systems that create equity and understanding among all kids, and that way they can go forth and use that to their advantage as they develop as a as a you know as a learner and an adult. No, I just I just think we need to have as many opportunities or provide as many opportunities in the classroom as possible for these students to explore uh, these types of of uh, books and these types of issues. And I think being, when you're thinking about your thematic unit, um, for example, because I like to do themes. We've already talked about that, I think, like last time or the other day, uh, the last time. And, but in that, include, when you're picking out your pieces, just make sure you're aware of the people that are in your classroom. Know your students and find text that fit within that unit, you know, you don't have to do it all in one time, but maybe throughout the year. So I think that's, you know, find people who are successful that look like your students. Even if it's not maybe from like a, like a, we're right now, basically we've been talking about fiction and nonfiction. I mean, fiction and probably biography, right? Uh, usually is what we've been kind of talking about. But even if you found nonfiction pieces about, people that are similar to your students who have been successful. I think that's another way to hit on um, that culturally diverse scenario. So I think you could also look at it from a nonfiction perspective, articles about these people, maybe like I just said, poems about these people and include them. I don't know. What do you think about that? Yeah, you know, News ELA is a fantastic resource for stuff like that. You know, they're mm-hmm. they're an extremely... Uh, uh, a lot of their stuff is very diverse and it's, it's very natural and um, it, it, they just provide a lot of different perspectives. They do some global stuff, but they look at stuff in, in multicultural ways. You know, I think poetry is such a great way to do that as well. Um, and one thing I do want to say before I forget is mm-hmm. especially on the writing side, right? This can be in the discussion and looking at stuff. Uh, there, I feel like when we, if you're going to allow, and you should, your kids to write about their lived experiences, their reality, their culture, where they, what they experience, you have to be comfortable with them writing about stuff that might not fit within your bubble of how you exist in the world or how you grew up in the world. And I feel like this is especially challenging for people that might have grown up in more conservative households. Um, and th- nothing wrong with that, by the way, it's just the, I fix and say, <laughs> <laughs> I'm just teasing, <laughs> but the, it's it's just the sometimes we we I think we have biases to oh well that's not school appropriate that's not this and I lean you know we I've said it on the podcast a bunch that so, you know I'm the quote unquote edgy side but it's not even that it's that if kids are if this is their experience why am I not going to let them talk about it why am I not going to let them write about it and I, I I feel like when we give kids that power back be like yo this is your story like I'm here as your as a fellow writer and guide you know if I think that this might be 
you might be losing your audience because your purpose is this, but you're really writing about this. We can have those conversations and you can decide ultimately where you want to take it. But I think it's just good for us to be mindful that if we're going to give the power to our students to guide us with their experiences, their lives, where they go from, then we have to be okay with wading in waters that we might not know how to navigate all the time. And I think that's, I think that's good uncomfortableness for teachers because we ask students to do stuff like that all the time. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. especially students that, you know, uh, that where we push certain cultural values on them that might, they might be completely weird to them. So the whole time in class, they're just trying to assimilate to what our culture is and that's not good for a learner at all. So no, I I think it's a good point. Well, and I think too, like if you start with, you know, like books that they can identify with. And then you can bring in other books, like books of your own culture, things like that. And then talk about, have open conversations, talk about what's, what is similar about both of these books. What's similar about the character? Do they both have similar problems? You know, I mean, do they have an internal conflict? Do they not? I mean, so you could actually do a book comparisons uh, and then now you can do cross, cross cultural comparisons. And then with, to me, I would do that with the ideal of, look, we are all in this world together and we need to learn to identify with each other and show, you know, so when you find the similarities, then to me, that's going to be helping your community in your classroom. And then they start to trust each other even more. Mm -hmm. Well, and I would, I would even add to that is, you know, celebrate the similarities, but also respect the differences, right? Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. and respect that there are just differences in experience. There's differences in, you know, the way one person might see an event might be different than someone else because of their race, background, culture, anything like that. And rep- understanding those differences deeply mm-hmm. and being able to have great conversations. I mean, we're talking, this is cultural revolutionary pedagogy in my opinion. And I think it's ever more apparent today because, you know, kids are, they they hear the world. They're, they're listening. Their parents are watching the news. They know what's going on. They probably know what's going on before we do because they, they (laughs) operate so much better with social media. Um, they just learn so fast. So giving them places to see that we, there's so many similarities, but also be able to function when other people have different experiences and be okay with that and be okay with, we're going to have a difference of viewpoint, but we can respect each other and figure out how to come together on certain things. Like that's, that, that is what all of this is about, right? It's not just about grabbing culturally relevant texts because you have black and brown students in your classroom. It's about bringing in the, the real world, right? The real world isn't mm-hmm. this sterile one vision fits all, especially in America. We are a melting pot. We have so many different cultures. And, you know, for campuses like ours, right, right. we have – there's so many kids in there that – to not bring in those experiences and to validate those experiences in a variety of ways, it, it's, it's, it's malpractice in terms of education. And I think – um, I, I'm glad that more and more teachers seem to be asking, uh, how to do this. And I, I don't think anyone has the specific answer. I think you have to take it one step at a time, try a little bit, wade in the waters. Don't be afraid of it. Um, if you're at a campus where they tell you, you have to teach something rather than saying no, offer challenges to, uh, perspective of like, okay, so if we have to teach this, could we pair it with this? Something that's maybe a little bit more diverse to add some diversity into a more scripted curriculum or something that is something that's a little bit more controlled. But if you have the freedom, go for it. Pull in everything, see what works. That's my method. I love pulling in stuff. And if kids relate to it, awesome. If they don't, I miss the mark. We try something else. So it's like, I, I try my best and, uh, I roll with it. Don't be afraid to fail. Fail up. Fail up. That's what this is. Well, and also, you know, sometimes where I'm short in my knowledge of text, so to speak, like, um, you know, a lot of times I pull in the students and what they know. Uh, 
So if if they're busy, if, first of all, if you've got them reading and you have readers in there, then I think that's where your book talks and different things like that can come in. If you've noticed that your students are reading uh, culturally diverse books, then make a point in your lesson design to create a book talk where the students can share those books so that other people um you, the other students in the classroom can can know what's out there. So sometimes you might not know everything. You don't have to know everything, but you can also use the resources in your room. I learn a lot from my students, and I learn a lot about books. I mean, I'll have them come up and say, so Cho, have you read this book? And I'm honest, I think most of the time. <laughs> <laughs> I hate to say all the time because there's probably somebody out there and go, well, no, I remember that one day. That... But anyway, um, but I, I try to tell them, no, I haven't read that book. Tell me about it, you know, and then say, oh, okay, I'll have to read that book. Well, if I commit to reading it, then I'll read the book. But um, but anyway, and then we have a book talk about it. But no, I think in, incorporating your students as much as possible and making them the experts of books about their own culture. And also keep in mind, too, that culture is really, culture moves beyond just your skin color or the ethnic group or racial group that you come from um, because there are different types of cultures out there. There's, um, you know, Ruby Payne hits on uh, the differences between uh, poverty and and the non impoverished. And those have different cultures. So I think in some places we have that as our differences. I know the school that I just came from, we have those that are living on a, on the backside of a golf course and we have those that are living in the projects. And so we had completely diverse students and, um, you know, you had to try to bring them together. And sometimes economically it was almost, it, sometimes that was the harder sell. So I think not just economic, but, you know, you have, you know, all these other different groups that that are wanting to be heard. And so just keep that in mind um, because we're getting even more diverse, I think, as we move on. So just kind of keep that, keep an open mind. I think you can still teach principles that you believe in, but still be inclusive. And with that, ladies and gentlemen, that has been Crafted Draft. Hopefully you enjoyed this conversation. If you want to ask a question and inspire a podcast, like I promised you, there is a button on the website now. It's a form. You fill it out. If you don't want to put your real name on it, whatever, it doesn't matter. Just fill it out. Send us an email and we will have these great conversations. So you don't need to contact us on Facebook anymore. You can just go straight to craftanddraftworkshop.com. Hit that submit a question button and you're good to go. But if you enjoyed this, leave a rating on your podcast app. Hit that star rating. It really does help. Hit subscribe. We release podcasts every single Friday. Hopefully next week I will have a space that is less echoey. But hopefully you're enjoying your summer. Some teachers are still teaching. I don't know what's happening over there in other states, but (laughs) it is... <laughs> we're like, we're past that. We've been in summer. Um, busy times ahead. Craft and draft. The book is coming along, isn't it, Miss Ocho? It's coming along. Well, yeah, I think that's probably why you're asking me about my writing process. Because <laughs> you can see how much I've written or not written. Hey, it's that's what we do. We're writing. We're we're trying to make something that is valuable for you guys. So yes. be patient as we go. But podcast is still going, so this is all free content regardless of the book. So in any case, ladies and gentlemen, know that we are here for you. <laughs>